Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty, hosted by Jody Katz, founder and creative director of Base Beauty Creative Agency. Hi, Where Brains Meet Beauty family. I am over the moon excited to introduce you to our summer sponsor, Grin. My team at Base Beauty uses the Grin creator management platform every day. It's an incredible tool. Let me tell you why we love it and why you need it. So your team already works with influencers, but they're probably getting lost in spreadsheets and busy work. They're combing through a messy web of communications and content your creators post, wondering if the campaigns are actually delivering a return on your investment. Well, that's where Grin comes in. Grin is the number one creator management platform, helping e-commerce brands connect with their audience through the power of creator partnerships. It's an all-in-one software that allows you to treat your creators like your brand revolves around them. Because in the creator economy, it does. My team loves that Grin has project management tools that provide for a seamless workflow. Thousands upon thousands of creators already live on Grin, so it's super easy to meet and build organic relationships with them, track the metrics of their content, and pay them all in one platform. Find out how Grin can help you grow your brand. Watch the demo at Grin.co. That's G-R-I-N dot C-O. Hi, Esperanza. Hi, Jody. Great to see you. I'm really excited about this episode. Me too. I think it's super important that we did this episode. So to give everyone a little bit of background, this episode number 213 is with the co-founder of Styx, Jamie Norwood. And Styx is a brand that makes a whole bunch of reproductive and vaginal health products, one of them being an emergency contraception. So um, Esperanza had to work very diligently to actually move this recording out many months. We were going to record with Jamie in our fourth quarter health health trend um, segment, but she moved it out to July so that we can get um, Jamie's insights and education in front of our fans as soon as possible. Yeah, I just felt like with the political climate, it was really important that we learned as much as we could about reproductive health care. So this episode is going to be um, really interesting for people who want to learn more about reproductive health care, but also her entrepreneurial story is really fascinating. She's um, started this business, you know, much, many more years younger than most people start their businesses. Um, and she is so honest and authentic about what that journey felt like um, physically. So I'm not going to say more because I want you to hear from her, her voice. But I think our fans should jump into the episode, Esperanza. Absolutely. Okay, so here's episode 213. Enjoy. Welcome to Wear Brains Meet Beauty. Um, our guest today was originally scheduled to be on our show during our upcoming health quarter. So um, fourth quarter this year is themed health for our show. But um, given recent changes in our government um, around body autonomy, we felt it's urgent to have this conversation today. So Today, we welcome someone who's on the forefront of providing safe and accessible reproductive health products to people. It's my pleasure to introduce the founder of Sticks, co-founder of Sticks, and member of Forbes Next 1000, Jamie Norwood. Welcome to Where Brains Meet Beauty. Thank you so much for having me. That is a very kind introduction. I'm excited to be here. Jamie, it's, uh, my team is super jazzed to, um, that we're having this conversation today because they absolutely want to learn from you. So a lot of them are I'm listening in today. Um, and, you know, this is a career journey show. So we're not really here to talk about products and marketing and trends and, um, you know, world forces, government forces. But um, 
I know we will end up doing that. So I want to start in this career journey space, though, just for a few minutes. Um, this is my favorite question that I get to ask um, our guests. Go back to your 11-year-old self and think about what do you want to be when you grow up? Um, I love that question. I, for the longest time when I was a kid, I think probably until like middle school, I wanted to be a dentist. So very different. Um, and then when I grew up a bit more like middle school, high school, I wanted to be a journalist. Did neither of those things. So. Okay. So, um, why do you think dentist was appealing to you in those early years? Honestly, I, so I had a very cool dentist as a child. She would paint my nails when I was like getting my, my teeth cleaned. And I think I just really liked going and I don't know, I, I guess I just was drawn to it. Um, not so much anymore. Your dentist would paint your nails. Well, that I, is the coolest thing ever. Actually, it was a dental hygienist who would paint my nails. So that's maybe what I wanted to be. <laughs> but yeah, it was very cool. You know, it's so interesting that um, you mentioned this because my kids remember um, when they were little, you know, like those first years of going to the dentist, the um, hygienist would paint pictures on their teeth. Uh-huh. Um, it was a way to get on, I don't know, whatever whatever needed to be on the teeth. Cute. But they would say, like, what do you want me to paint? Do you want me to paint, like, hearts or rainbows or unicorns? And they believed her, of course. And, um, you know, a little a little raw that they were yeah. tricked all these years because they remember believing it. And, like, those moments for making a dentist chair feel safe and comfortable, um, it's amazing how much that's lingered for you. Yeah, yeah, it does. It's like a bit of a lesson, I think, in customer experience maybe. But, um, yeah, luckily, I, or not luckily, it's a great thing to do. But my interest in dentistry and medicine and all of that was quickly over. Okay, and then... Um, what made you feel inspired about being a journalist? Um, I was on the newspaper in school. That was like always my, I didn't play sports or anything like that. That was kind of my like extracurricular. So I loved that. And I think at that time there was, it was very like glamorous to work in a magazine and, you know, in lots of movies, like the, you know, main character of the movie works at a fashion magazine or an arts magazine. So I, I wanted to like one day work in a magazine. Um, yeah. Then I, got to college and started doing internships and I can get to all that, but and eventually found my way to startups. Did you ever see the movie 13 going on 30? Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure that influenced me a lot. <laughs> I can watch that movie on any day. Like I turn back into like a, I guess a tween, you know, mm. when that movie comes on, I love it so much. Yeah, no, me too. I've seen, I like for Halloween, a lot of people will, will wear her dress that she wears and that like, you know, the dress that's like, that she does the thriller dance in. So. Such a great movie. Okay, so your passions for um, dental hygiene and <laughs> journalism faded away. Um, were you one of those people in college that were like, I absolutely know what I want to be at this point and I'm working towards that goal? Or were you feeling just a little bit um, lost with that future? Um, I think somewhere in between. I was on my college newspaper and kind of continued the journalism thing and did an internship at a magazine. And then I think... Everyone, not everyone, but a couple people who I really looked up to at that internship were like, do not start a career in journalism right now. Like, trust us. And I listened. Um, so I think once that was set aside, I, you know, I was an English major, so I didn't have a major that really, like, was had an obvious path. I think at the time I thought, okay, I'm an English major. I have to be a writer or, like, a teacher. Um, and then eventually got an internship at a startup and realized that there was this like whole other 
path that I could take. But no, I was not like 100% sure of what I wanted to do. Um, before I move on to my next questions, I want to say hi to Rushu and Mrs. Ricker and Alina and Hannah and Mrs. Levine and Christy Lay and G Junker. So lots of people joining in to listen in and Molly and oh my God, people just keep <laughs> coming and coming. Hi, Jane <laughs> Butler. And hello to I'm That Cheek and Med Hatter. So, um, you know, I I love these journey stories because I was somebody who really had no idea. <laughs> you know, I went to college. I was around people who like were very specific in their goals and then um, sought them out. And I just sort of floated. The universe pushed me in a direction. That's where I went. Um, what about that um, startup experience was exciting for you? And what do you like remember learning the most out of that job? Yeah, um, I remember really being like drawn to the energy of a small team and everyone kind of working on a common goal. Like I said, I never played sports, so it was kind of the first time that I like got that dynamic. Um, and I liked the idea of building something kind of from the ground up in a lot of ways. It, it didn't, even though it is very far off from journalism, it kind of reminded me of that like newsroom environment, like everyone kind of like working late together on stuff. Um, so I think that is kind of what led me there. And then I actually did a fellowship program called Venture for America after graduation that helped me um, kind of like have a community and a path with working at a startup. Okay, so uh, this startup vibe for some people, it's really hard for them. Like they need a job where there's just not, it's like the opposite energy. They crave like structure and solid footing and a very well um, oiled machine where they do like one job. Yeah. What in your heart do you think made you love this and crave this? It's a good question. Um, I think I, I really like being creative in my work, but I'm not a designer. I'm not like a creative. And I like that working in an unstructured environment kind of lets you solve problems in your own way. And um, I really liked that, like, I could get a lot of hands-on experience, like leadership experience at such a young age. Like I worked at a startup after college and I was able to have a team and, and manage people at like 24, which I think is just absurd now. I'm like, why did they let me do that? Um, but I think it just gives you opportunities that you wouldn't otherwise get at a bigger company. But I definitely understand the desire to work at a bigger company. I've never worked at a company with more than 30 people. I think one day I would like to. It would be interesting to, like, have a more well-defined role and team and, and resources. Did you get to know the um, entrepreneur founder of that business? Um, yeah, a bit. Uh, we didn't work, like, super closely together, but definitely we're, like, often in meetings together and um, got to, like, kind of hear him do his thing and it was definitely motivating did you ever think at that time that's going to be me someday I don't think so <laughs> no <laughs> I think I couldn't think that far um yeah I, I always like thought it would be fun to do my own thing but I, I I didn't know I always thought that that would be more of like a hobby like putting on, I, I, did, I did a lot of like extracurricular stuff in college and in my early 20s, like a friend and I threw this big like food and music festival in Baltimore where I lived. And that was like an experience actually running my own thing and getting that um, kind of like hands-on business experience. I mean, we sold a ton of tickets and stuff, but at the time I didn't think that that could be like a job. 
Okay. So then what shift in your life? Because now you run a business. Now you run a business. Yes. <laughs> now you're an entrepreneur. So what, what happened? Um, so I think when I graduated college and started uh, my first job at a startup, it was a very small early stage company based in Baltimore. And my co-founder now, Cynthia, and I were co-workers there. And I think there, seeing the company grow and working so, so closely with the founders, you know, we were all the same age. We were pulled into so many different decisions. We were kind of like, well, if they can do it, like, so can we. And, you know, at the end of the day, we felt really passionate about the mission of that company, but we just were really excited about women's health and had this idea. And honestly, it kind of started as like a side project, like hobby um, we were just this kind of dorky. We were like, wouldn't it be fun to like join a pitch competition and like think about this business? And we weren't, I think both of us were very surprised when we decided it was time to like do it full time. Okay. So let's, let's examine that time period because this is, there's <laughs> many, many people listening and who will listen to this after it's live, um, who are in that space. They're working at a business, whether it's a startup or an established business, and they're with a friend and they're thinking about this like big idea that feels like it's a white space and seems adventurous and they do make it a hobby. How, when did it go from hobby to like, you know what, this it's time? Like, what was that journey like? Yeah, for us, we had a very distinct moment, which I think is kind of unusual. Um, and it was lucky. So it's like a mix of, of course, like all the things, but we, um, had ordered samples. We did a, a pitch competition. I think we won $3,000 from the pitch competition, which at the time we were like, oh my God, like we're starting a business. Um, we ordered samples of pregnancy tests, like spun out a Shopify website. And then we did another pitch competition a couple months later. And in the audience was someone came up to us and he was like, I'm an angel investor. I invest in companies founded by women. I really like what you're doing. My co-founder, Cynthia, was like, do you want to get breakfast tomorrow? And I remember being like, I can't believe she just asked him that, like right on the spot. And he said yes, and we got breakfast with him, and he wrote us our first like check that day. Um, yeah, so that was like our heads were spinning, and we were like, okay, we have to do this now. Um, so I remember Cynthia and I are like two sides of the same coin. So like she she had very practical. She was like, okay, we're gonna launch a waitlist and get five thousand signups. And then we can quit our jobs. And I was like, nope, we got to quit our jobs now. Like, we got to do it. I was just, like, already thinking ahead. And then we met somewhere in the middle. Once we had, like, enough traction in the check, we decided we – it wasn't, like – it's obviously a risk, but it wasn't, like, an unfounded risk, if that makes sense. Okay, before we move deeper into the story, because I, like, love this moment. And I want to know, like, what everybody <laughs> ate for breakfast that day. Um, I want to say hi to Lee Graf and the modern Mujer and Jill – Zersky and the Milk Dealer and Mrs. Fishing, Gabs, Uma Patel, Julia, and my Coco Care. And it's Shammy's and Kristen Lerb and Madison Whitaker. I think that gets us up to date a little bit. Although more people come keep coming in. Hello, Sarwags. Um, okay, take me back to breakfast because this is all so bold, right? Like two people who didn't think they were starting a business. Yeah. This is amazing. Do, do you remember what you ate at that breakfast? Honestly, okay, no, but... I do remember, and this is embarrassing, but I was so nervous. I was like, I I vomited the night before, before the pitch competition and before breakfast. And I don't, I'm not like a, a nerve, 
I mean, I'm like, you know, I'm as anxious as the next person. But after that, I was like, I really have to like investigate this. Like what's going on? I was just so nervous. It was like so new for me. And Cynthia is much more like she did theater in high school. She's a good public speaker. It comes more naturally to her. I was like up there shaking. And now um, she does all the pitching. (laughs) I don't do any of the pitching. (laughs) Okay, so Jamie, your um, partner, Cynthia, was bold enough to ask this person for breakfast. Yeah. Um, You then go off and vomit. No, vom- you, sorry. You vomited first. You did the pitch meeting. She asked the angel investor for breakfast. Next day, you vom- wake up, vomit, and then attend this breakfast, which set you off on a trajectory to build this business. Yeah. And it was like a kind of like a movie moment. Um, okay. The investor, he's this wonderful man named Bill Scott. He's no longer alive, which is very sad. Um, and we, we got to know him pretty well over the last few years. And after he left breakfast, his assistant was still there. And she literally said to us, and, you know, we sent this to his family once they, we, we heard that he passed, but his assistant said to us, like, Bill's going to change your life. Like he does that for people. And we were like, just this really like, kind of like chills moment. Um, and he really did. And like, yeah, it's, it was so important for us to have him bought in so early because he then had, he, he uh, at the time was a VP at PayPal, I think. Yeah, PayPal, he helps build Venmo. And he had a lot of other like angel investor, like San Francisco type tech people that uh, went on to invest in sticks. So that was very special. Um, did you tell Cynthia that you vomited twice? Oh, yeah. No, we were staying together. We were like sharing a bed. And I was like, what's wrong with me? Like, yeah, she was like probably with me in the bathroom. (laughs) I love that you shared this with us because it's such a human thing, right? And um, that's the whole whole purpose of this show is to humanize our industry. And like, we are not robots, right? Uh, The path to success is littered with vomit. I mean, that's (laughs) um, the truth. And um, I'm grateful that people listening to this show will hear this honest account of what it's like to be up against your dreams, right? You're really in this moment where um, success is right in front of you and it's scary. Yeah, it was a very like pivotal moment. Um, yeah, it was wild. So um, I want to understand from your perspective, you know, as someone, I guess, like now, you know, you have a weak stomach when it comes to like being right, right in front of success. And I think it's important to talk about this a little bit more. Um, I have this, I guess, philosophy or approach to um, my entrepreneurial journey where there's a real tension for me between reaching my goals um, and in my in my career and then living the rest of my life that I also have, you know, ambitions and happy places for. And there's a tension that I call a seduction, like this um, growing my business is so seductive. It calls to me, right? At four o'clock in the morning, it calls to me, you know, when I'm out for a walk, it calls to me, you know, when I'm eating breakfast, it's always there. And I know, because I've proven this to myself, the more I work, the more success happens. But I don't want to only just work, right? So I'm, you know, in this early stage of your business, and I'm sure there's like a lot of growth happening at this particular moment, um, are you feeling seduced by success? Um, yes, I think that that I like definitely don't have the answer there. I agree. Like you can always be working. There's like literally always something to do. There's always something going wrong. Um, but then at the same time, there's a lot of stuff going right. I've, you know, Cynthia and I tried to like 
now that we have a team, I think we need to do a better job of this, but um, like set kind of normal work hours. But the hard thing is, is then you're thinking about it when you're not working. And right now I've kind of just like accepted personally, like I'm at a time in my life where like work just is one of the most important things. And that's just how it is right now. And it won't always be that way. Well, you know, it's interesting because in that first job, you were really attracted to that like newsroom quality and the like working late in the night together. Um, you know, that's, that's appealing, but not always, <laughs> you know, um, I mean, in my early jobs, like that was just a rite of passage, right? Um, being together nine o'clock, 10 o'clock at night. Um, was it hard? Sure. I accepted it. I don't know that that's like really what I want for my team now. You know, I really actually would prefer that they're not working um, past yeah. traditional work hours. But um, there is an energy that comes from those moments that's also seductive, I think. Yeah, I think that it's also hard being remote and with Zoom because like I have and the New York Times just did a piece about work friends. I don't know if you saw that, but it was like, you know, about the importance of having work friends. And like, I loved that about like my, my first job. And that was before, like the idea of working remote was like, I remember one day I asked if I could, and they said no, cause I like had an appointment. It was like very much you go in person Monday through Friday. Uh, but some of like my best memories and like, I made such close friends through that experience, like not necessarily working late, but like being together, deciding to go get a drink after work. Just like you have this relationship with your work friends that I think is like so special. So it's a little sad. I think that like zoom, has changed that. But at the same time, like, I also love the flexibility that working from home gives me. Um, and I, I think it's like done wonders for my personal life because I have just like so much more time. Yeah. I love this idea of, um, being creative about work friends. You know, it's something we're trying to do in my business. Um, you know, I, I, my business has never been in the office um, five days a week. I mean, for 15 years, we've been operating as a virtual business. Oh, wow. um, but there's times when we are together and I see the value, especially for the younger people on my team in building those relationships. Um, and they love to work together and collaborate and see each other. And then they love to go out for dinner and drinks and whatnot together. Um, so my responsibility to them is, you know, give them the tools to make great work, but also give them the tools to make great relationships because that makes the work better too. Right. Um, yeah. So we just have to be crazy creative about what that is. Um, we're doing a Candytopia event next month with the team. And, you know, just like, you know, we, we have to make moments where being together matters. But, um, yeah. you know, there's there's pros and cons to both. I think we, we have to remember that both are important. Yeah. Okay, so I want to switch gears a little bit here. Um, you know, I would imagine that recent news um, and recent laws and all of this stuff with, you know, body autonomy and reproductive rights has really changed um, the way that you are responding to your customer and the customers that are finding you. So can you give us a little sense of what's changed in the business, yep. um, given the fact that there's a lot of people who are in um, real crisis right now? Yeah, so... Um... We are a reproductive and vaginal health company. So we provide products and education for people who like have questions about their body or who are experiencing something difficult. Like maybe it's a yeast infection. They're not sure what it is, or they think they might be pregnant. They don't want to be like, these are very vulnerable moments. And it's become clear to us over the past year, two years that, um, emergency contraception and contraception in general is 
a bad experience and needs a bit of a revamp. Like if you think about buying the morning after pill in a drugstore, it's often like locked up. It's like over $50 in price. You know, you, if you live in a small town, that can be really uncomfortable. Um, so we started working on our own emergency contraception about a year ago. And then in the past like six months or so, it's become very clear where the Supreme Court was heading with Roe v. Wade and what was going to happen. Um, and we wanted to like not just make a statement about it, but like put kind of our actions behind our words. So what we did is we um, launched Restart, which is our morning after pill. But we also launched a donation bank, which is kind of our effort to address a lot of the inequities in reproductive care and access. So we launched this big campaign where anyone could donate a dose of emergency contraception to someone who needed it. And then on the flip side, if you need a dose and you don't have access, you can request one for free. So it was a really amazing response. Like just the weekend of the announcement, we or the week after the announcement, we had over 7,000 free doses redeemed. Um, and we do a, a great deal of education also on like why these products are important. And what are you hearing from your customers, new and existing customers in terms of um, what they need right now? Yeah, um, a lot about like, I mean, a lot of people are just really scared. And I think that, or they've told us that they're looking at these products differently. Like maybe someone who wouldn't normally keep a morning after pill and a pregnancy test on hand. And now they live in a state that doesn't have full like reproductive access. They're going to need these products or a friend is going to need these products. They're just so important. So just wanting to be prepared in a new way and being like, just kind of like hypervigilant about taking care of our health and, and honestly, just like, I think a lot of people, you know, we've been working on this product for a long time. We've been kind of very, very closely following the news. And even for us, hearing the decision felt super, like, jarring. You know, having it be real and be in the headlines and seeing people respond is, like, so devastating. And I think for for our customers and our friends and our community, like, it's 10 times more devastating. Um, so just, like, kind of, you know, being there and listening and, and letting people know that we're we're doing something about it. Um, before we move on, I want to say hi to Nails by Helen Marie and um, Mushin and Nani and Tamara Fulton Style and um, Dear Dahlia and Mary Rose and Nicole and Jaylee. Thank you for joining. So I'm curious, um, you know, you run a business, um, you know, this is a direct-to-consumer business. There's a lot of operational elements here. Um, can you ship these products anywhere now or are you limited yeah so we can ship restart um to all states it there are no laws against it currently we're keeping a close eye and you know the supreme court said they're gonna vote on contraception in the future so they probably will um but right now it is legal and it's an option and that's something we really want to like shout from the rooftops is that the morning after pill is not an abortion pill and it's still legal so you can still get a morning after pill, all it does is prevent pregnancy before it happens. So you're not terminating a pregnancy. So it really is something that no matter your political beliefs, like people can really get behind and support keeping this product accessible. 
Okay, so can we do a little um, education on um, the dues for restart? When do yes. you take it? What are um, what kind of impact does it have? What you know? What do you feel yeah. or not feel? Yeah. So restart is an over-the-counter emergency contraceptive. It has the same active ingredient as Plan B. If you've ever taken that or you've heard of it. And what it does, and, and you take it within 72 hours of unprotected sex or birth control failure. And basically, like in the simplest terms, what it does is it delays your ovulation. So it prevents like sperm from meeting egg. Has the same effect as if you were to like wear a condom or take the birth control pill. It's just preventing fertilization. Um, so it is entirely safe. There's no limit on how many times you can take it. You know, there's a lot of misconceptions about emergency contraception. Like when I was in college and in school, you know, I was told that if you took it more than three times, it wouldn't work anymore or that it could make you really sick. You know, our medical advisory board has said confidently that it's as safe as taking the birth control pill. Um, it can make your next period a little bit lighter or heavier, but that's about it. And... Um... You have to take it within 72 hours, which is why having them on hand is giving people a lot of comfort, right? Yes, definitely. And we also have a number of shipping options. So in certain cities, you can get restart from our site within two hours, which we're really excited about. Um, and then we also offer overnight delivery as well. Um, but now is a time that a lot of people are honestly just stocking up and just being prepared in a new kind of way. Oh, which begs the question, what is the shelf life? Like, how long do these stay, yes. I guess, fresh? <laughs> yeah. Um, you can keep them for about two years. Okay. So um, in our office, when all this news broke, you know, of course, I felt pretty helpless as a leader of an organization of mostly women. And um, we did do, um, we ordered some emergency contraceptives to keep in the, the pantry for anyone to take, whether they need it or a friend needs it. Um, because, you know, like there's, um, helplessness, right. That happens. So we thought, you know, this is something that's easy that we can provide easy access to. So let's do that. Just like we have Motrin in the cabinet. So now we have emergency contraception. That's amazing. I love that you did that. I think that's like a, setting a really good example for other workplaces. Also, you just took the words out of my mouth. Like what I'll say all the time is if you keep Advil in your cabinet, like you can keep a pregnancy test and emergency contraception. Like we need to treat it like a part of our health because it is. Right. And I do think that there's just tons of misconceptions um, and like fear mongering around um, these products have been around for a really long time, but there hasn't been um I guess there hasn't been like a marketing need to um, take these bad rumors and set them straight, right? But now there's yeah. clearly like a need because the consumer is um, demanding education and support here. Yeah, people just have higher expectations now, like as they should, especially when it comes to their health. So education is definitely like a big part of what we're doing and, and trying to work on. Well, Jamie, I'm glad that we were able to like rush schedule this interview because, yes. um, you know, people need to hear it and need to hear from entrepreneurs like you who are on the front lines and talking to the customer every single day about um, what she needs and her fears. Um, but this part of our recording is now over because we're going to move into what we call our after show. 
which becomes a little more fun. Um, okay. So we're gonna like, I, get, I get, we're gonna stay in the education lane, but um, Esperanza, our producer, is gonna come back into the show, and we're going to do a little game with you. So, like, what a great entrepreneur story you have, Jamie. I mean, I'm gonna be telling my whole family the story. This is incredible. Um, I think it's so, imp- <laughs> it's so important so for people to hear the honest truth about what it's like to to walk up to your dreams. Welcome to the After Show for Brains Meet Beauty podcast, where we play a game and our guest answers fan questions. So if you do have questions that you want Jamie to answer about her journey or her products, please drop them in the stream below. Um, if we can't get to all of them, we will send them to Jamie after the show and we'll put them on our Instagram stories um, with her responses. So thank you for Esperanza for joining. Today's game is about myth busting. So good topic for us, Jamie. We we're just talking about this. So for mm-hmm. our game today, we're going to use this opportunity to get educated on reproductive health, contraception, and early pregnancy. And we have mm-hmm. some statements, Jamie, and you need to let us know if they're true or false. Okay. Okay. Are you ready to play? Yeah. Okay, Esperanza, you're up. Hey, okay. So our first question or our first statement is all forms of contraception are equally reliable. True or false? That is false. (laughs) Can you Um, give us some insights as to what you know about the different forms of contraception? Yeah. Um, So some of them, like a long-acting reversal contraception, like an IUD or the arm implant, you guys have had those or know people who do, those are very reliable because there's no chance for like user error. Um, And then like contraception, there's a lot of different ones. Like condoms are contraception. Um, The pullout method is contraception. Natural family planning is basically anything that you're in control of. There's more of a chance for error. Like with the birth control pill, you can obviously miss a day or take it at a different time. Um, but yeah, they vary in percentage of effectiveness. Perfect. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Um, the second statement is there isn't an ideal time of day to take a pregnancy test. That is also false. There, There is. The, um, your urine has the highest like potency of hcg which is the pregnancy hormone first thing in the morning before you drink any water so we recommend taking a pregnancy test first thing in the morning um of course you can take it later in the day like it's it's still gonna work but it will be like less accurate um if you're early in your pregnancy cool thanks uh that's super useful Um, (laughs) um, our next statement is other than a missed period, symptoms of pregnancy don't usually appear until week five or six of pregnancy. Don't usually appear. Yeah. Okay. I think that is true. There are early symptoms, but I, I don't think they're noticeable or usual. Yeah. But I so that's, that. <laughs> that's what makes um, all of this so complicated, right? All of these yeah. tr- trigger laws, um, yeah. you know, saying you can't, you know, have an abortion after, you know, like four weeks, like you wouldn't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
yeah, I've, I've heard a lot of stories where it's like, well, I was extra tired or like feeling a little nauseous, but like didn't think anything of it. And then you miss your period. Um, but it is five weeks, six weeks is so, so early. Like most people don't even think to take a pregnancy test by that time. Right. Like, I mean, I can imagine if you're a regular, you wouldn't even think that you've missed totally. your period. And we yeah. have a bunch of customers, like a large percentage of customers that subscribe to pregnancy tests from sticks because their periods are irregular and, or they don't get a period. And if they didn't test, they would have no way of knowing. Totally. So our last statement is there's not much average people can do to support those who need access to emergency contraception or abortions. That is false. There is stuff you can do. Um, there are a ton of great abortion funds and organizations you can donate to um, locally, especially if you live in a red state. Um, we also have our Restart Donation Bank where you can donate a dose directly to someone who needs it. Um, so there, there's definitely a lot of stuff to do. And even if like donating money isn't an option for you, I think there are a lot of ways to get involved. Like at Planned Parenthood, you can be a volunteer. I'm sure local abortion funds have a need for volunteers or like drivers or all sorts of things. Yeah. Awesome. I love that as a business, you made um, donating to others so easy. Um, it's quite unusual, I think, for a product brand, um, but essential, right? Like I told you when um, I heard the news as a business owner, what am I going to do, right? To be able to um, support an, um, a business like yours and get products into people's hands who need them is um, it's super empowering and amazing. Yeah, it, it was like a very rewarding thing to work on and... I think I'm very proud of everything the team put together. It was also like, you know, um, not last minute by any means, because we've been working on it for a while, but we really rushed to get it out in time once the Supreme Court decision was leaked. Um, so definitely very proud of everyone. Well, Jamie, thank you for playing along. That was so informative. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Esperanza. Thank you. Well, Jamie, thank you for being um, with us today. You are our 213th episode. So that's super cool. Um, I'm grateful to you for your time. And um, I wish you luck as you build this business. And we're going to be cheering for you from the sidelines. Thank you so much. This was so fun. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Where Brains Meet Beauty with Jody Katz. Tune in again for more authentic conversations with beauty leaders.